If you have a Bible, I would invite you to open up to Luke chapter 19. All right, Luke chapter 19 is where we're going to be today. Uh, this week, I don't know how your week was, my week was kind of crazy. All right, and I just, I walked in today and my mind was everywhere and, and I just felt like things were falling apart. And have you ever had one of those weeks? And, and I felt like this morning so far, as I've been praying, that secretly, I'm, I'm praying for you guys too, but I'm just really praying for myself. Like in every single one of these prayers, like, God, I need you. This, this is, this is going to be a wreck without you. And it's just one of those moments where I want us to just kind of take, take time, stop and say, okay, God, can you speak to us? So let's, let's just open this um, in prayer. Normally, I pray kind of after we read a scripture. I want to just open right now in prayer. Uh, so if you'd join me for that. God, we just, we want to hear from you. God, none of this matters if, if we show up and we walk out of here the same. And, and God, my words don't matter. Lord, what we, what we say to ourselves, that doesn't matter. God, we want to hear your voice. We have enough of the other voices in our life. We want to hear your voice. So God, I pray this morning that you would just speak to every single one of us, Lord, in our, in our own way. God, if we have never felt like we have heard you speak to us, God, I pray this morning that that would change, that we would be open to your voice, and that we would be changed because of that. Amen. All right, so we are in Luke chapter 19. We are continuing in our series uh, that we have called Altered. All right. Uh, last week was actually a baptism service, and it was amazing. All right. If you missed last week, it was so great. We got to celebrate with nine other people as they took a step forward in proclaiming that they are living for Jesus. All right. We got to hear their stories uh, as well and how God has been working in their lives. I don't know about you, but I was incredibly challenged just reading through these stories and just like, man. I, I want to make sure God is moving in my life. I don't ever want to be at a spot where if someone says, what is God doing in your life? That I have to think back uh, five years, 10 years, a year, even a month. Like I want to be able to say, this is what God is doing. And that was just so challenging for me uh, and so great. The two weeks prior to that, we have been looking at different passages where someone encounters Jesus and their life is changed. Their life is altered from that moment on. All right, and the best thing about this series is that in the same way that people encountered Jesus 2,000 years ago and had their lives radically changed, the same thing can still happen for us today. All right, and God wants that to happen for you this morning. God wants that to happen for me this morning. So we have an opportunity to experience Jesus in a way that can change the trajectory of our life, and that is true whether this is your first time walking into a church or you've been going to church your entire life. That is true for every single one of us. Uh, so I want us to just kind of be intentional this morning, uh, be willing to hear from God, and most likely be challenged in a way that would cause us to grow and step outside our comfort zone. So I want us to be ready for that. Just kind of, if you could, have this posture of just kind of leaning in, sitting on the edge of your chair saying, God, what do you have for me this morning? All right, so let's, if you're able, if you're willing, could you stand across this place as we read our passage we are in Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus! 
said, quickly come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. All right, you guys can have a seat. One of the things that we've been doing in this Altered series is we've been looking at different passages, different stories. Uh, but before we really dive into the story that we're looking at, we want to look at where does it fall in Scripture? What else is going on around it? Because lots of times this is important. All right, so sometimes that means actually looking at like the timeline of what was Jesus doing right before this? Where was Jesus going? What was he doing after this? Uh, but sometimes it's not as much of a timeline because when people wrote the Bible, when people wrote the Gospels, there are moments where things happen chronologically and then there are moments where it doesn't. And sometimes that sounds difficult for us to grasp. We're like, no, I want this story to be perfect and explain everything. But the reality is, uh, they, are, they are trying to convince the reader that Jesus is the Messiah. So there are moments where they take, they take different stories and they kind of put them, I want it right here because this is a good spot based on what's around it. And that's kind of what's happening today. All right, when we look at Luke chapter 19, when we go to Luke 18 before it, uh, there's a few different things happening, and a lot of these, uh, it's funny, like these, there's two of them that are important for us to look at. All right, and the first is a parable about a Pharisee and a tax collector. And they both go into the synagogue, and the Pharisee prays loudly and basically thanks God for how good of a person he is. All right, he's saying, I am so good at doing this life. I am so good at being religious. Uh, I remember to fast. I remember to pray. Thank God I'm not like that tax collector over there that is a terrible person. I am so good. And th this is his prayer, and he says it very loudly in front of everybody. All right, then the tax collector, he prays this humble prayer where he admits all of his wrongs, and he asks for God's mercy. And Jesus says that the tax collector walked away vindicated before God that day. All right, now this was a major thing for Jesus to say, and that will make more sense as we continue on in the message today, why this would be such a big deal um, to say this. All right, then a little further on in chapter 18, you have a story that is often referred to as the rich young ruler or the rich ruler. Now this ruler approaches Jesus and asks, what must I do to inherit the life of the age to come? He's referring to when God has redeemed this world, uh, when creation is made new and everything is supposed to be the way it's supposed to be, what must I do to be part of that? And, and Jesus has this little back and forth, and he says, okay, you should follow all of the laws. And the guy says, yep, I do that. So Jesus says one more thing, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Well, this guy is rich, and he doesn't want to do that, so he walks away sad. Now, Jesus and his disciples have this little dialogue, and the disciples ask, well, man, that's so difficult. Like, who then can be saved? If that's what we're supposed to do to be saved, who possibly can be saved? And Jesus says, what's impossible for humans is possible for God. 
All right, so you have this scenario where it's really hard for rich people to be able to reach the place where God has their whole heart. All right, now, and the reason why I say I don't think these are chronological, when you read this, sometimes it'll say Jesus did this. Then he withdrew and went here. Then he did this. These ones are stories that say one time Jesus was teaching this. Once Jesus had a crowd and he told them about this. And it's, so they're kind of specifically placed and I want us to keep these fresh in our mind, these two stories in particular, as we go into chapter 19. All right, so chapter 19 opens with the story about Zacchaeus. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and this is the beginning of the end for him. All right, he, he knows what is waiting for him. He knows that when he goes to Jerusalem, that he is going to be killed. And he has now started, basically, his march towards his death. And he's even telling the disciples this. He's saying, I am going to be killed. This is what's happening. All these different things. All right? And Jericho is a city that he would have, have to pass through to get to Jerusalem. So he's walking through Jericho. And Jericho is this big trade city. It's on a main route for goods being shipped all over and delivered. The city is a big deal. All right? And Jesus is walking through the city of Jericho. And we are introduced to a man named Zacchaeus. And we are told three things about Zacchaeus. All right? We are told he is a chief tax collector. We are told he is rich. And we are told he is small. All right? Like, that's, that's the three defining characteristics of Zacchaeus that we get. And right away, those first two things in that list should pop up little flags in our mind. All right? And that's what would have happened um, for people that were reading this in the first century. Because they did not read these as like little stories. Like, I'm going to read the story of Zacchaeus today. They would sit down and read straight through. And so they would have these things fresh in their mind. All right, so we had the Pharisee and the tax collector. And we are now told Zacchaeus is a tax collector. And we had the rich young ruler. We are now told that Zacchaeus is rich. So that should immediately kind of trigger those flags in our mind. Well, Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus, but he's short. There are massive crowds who want to see him. All right, Jesus is reaching the end of his ministry. He would have been quite famous at this point. The things that he had done, uh, the miracles that had happened, people would have heard of these. So everyone is crowding around him. Zacchaeus finds this nearby tree, and he climbs it so he can get a better view of Jesus. All right? If you grew up going to church, how many of you have already had a little song playing in your head? Anybody? Yeah? All right. So it, if you don't know what I'm talking about, in Sunday school when, you were, when, when I was little, I was taught this song, and it's, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree, because the Lord he wanted to see. Okay, to see what he could see. That's what I thought it was, too. I looked it up, and apparently we were taught wrong. The Lord he wanted to see. Your mom is disagreeing with you. All right. So, regardless, this little story, like, this is what this, this guy's been boiled down to. All right? Like, he's always talked about, like, just... We think of Zacchaeus as running around. He's this short little guy. And there, there's so much that's going on in here. So Jesus comes along, verse 5 to 7, uh, walking down the street, the crowd all around him, and he looks up and he sees Zacchaeus. All right, and I love this. He says, quickly, quickly get down here. I must be a guest at your house today. All right, Jesus is urgent. He is insistent. Zacchaeus shimmies down. He's all excited about this. This famous guy who he was hoping to just kept, catch like a glimpse of is now like calling him by name saying, I want to be a guest at your house. 
Like, this, this is a great day for Zacchaeus. But all the people around him were upset. Now, to fully understand why they are upset uh, like this, we need to understand a few things about the culture that day. All right, Zacchaeus was a tax collector, and I think that's easy for us to understand. Right? Like, I think even today, most of us do not like taxes. All right? Like, we want, we're like, I worked for my money, I want to keep my money. You know, like, type of thing. And so we don't like taxes. The same feeling would have been there, obviously, at this time, uh, but it is so much deeper than that for them. All right, so Israel was a conquered nation, and they were being occupied by the nation that conquered them. That would be the Romans, and they did not like this. When you have been conquered, you no longer are in control. Someone else sets up a government, they are running it. All right, so they have this other government from a different nation ruling them. The Romans would force this conquered nation to pay taxes to them, and there were quite a few taxes. All right, you would have land taxes that you had to pay for any land that you would have. You had head taxes, which would be for each person in your family. You had to pay taxes on them. Uh, you also had custom taxes. This was to pay for any goods uh, that were being made, that were being transported, that were being sold, anything like that. All right, and, and remember, Jericho is a major export city. That means this city has a lot of taxes. There's a lot of money to be had from the Romans here. All right. On top of this, Jews had a local temple tax that they paid to the temple. This would be something similar to like what we talk about with tithing nowadays. All right. It is estimated that the average Jewish person was paying at least 30 to 40 percent of their income in taxes, if not more. All right. Like they, they were really getting taxed. So in the eyes of any Jew, Romans equal bad, taxes equal bad, a tax collector was actually a Jewish person who worked for Rome and collected taxes. That means that they are a traitor who works for the enemy and hurts their own people. That's what a tax collector is. To compound this and make it worse, we need to understand actually how taxes worked for them. The Romans wanted their money. They wanted to tax people, but they didn't want to have to deal with the process of going and collecting all these taxes. Could you imagine for a moment, in their culture, in that day, collecting taxes on every single thing that was sold. All right, that'd be the equivalent if the only way we did things today was Facebook Marketplace and the government is trying to track that down and say, okay, you got to pay this tax and this tax, all these things. Like they, every single street interaction, everything like this, there are taxes that they have to try and figure out how to get. And that sounds like a nightmare for an occupying nation that is somewhere else, right? So what they did is they had this system that they set up all right, where they would roughly kind of say, okay, the area of Jericho, you're going to do about this much business. This is how much this area owes us in taxes. And then they would take that amount and they'd kind of divvy it out and they would let local Jewish people bid on those, that chunk of taxes. And if you won the bid, you would pay all of those taxes up front out of your own pocket. And then what you would do is now your job was to go around and retroactively collect those taxes from people. All right, so understand this. If you pay 10 grand in taxes up front and you go out and you collect 10 grand in taxes, what have you made? Zero dollars for a lot of work. All right, so tax collectors, the way that they would make their money is that they would go out and they would assess the goods and they'd say, 
uh, these goods are probably worth about, you know, okay, I'm using dollars because it makes sense to us. They're worth about $100. Uh, I'm going to assess them at 110 You need to pay the taxes on $110 worth of goods, and then you pocket the extra. All right, that's, that's how you made your living. Now, depending on how greedy you were, you would get rich or you would get by. What was Zacchaeus? He was rich. So what does that mean? That means that he was overtaxing people a lot. All right, and you could not complain about this. Who are you going to go to? The Roman government? They, they don't care. Like, you, there's nothing you can do. When a tax collector comes, you pay the taxes. All right? So are we understanding why people did not like tax collectors? All right, like, to the point where tax collectors were not allowed to give testimony in Jewish court. Like, they saw you as such a snake and deceiver that your word could not be trusted in court. You were not allowed to get up and give a testimony. Pharisees actually argued about whether or not tax collectors could have genuine repentance and be saved under the law of Moses. That's why it's a big deal. What Jesus said about the Pharisee and the tax collector in the temple, it was a big deal that he says the tax collector walked away justified. Because they were arguing whether that was even possible. Tax collectors also worked with Gentiles. They'd be non-Jewish people, which made them unclean. Like, tax collectors were the bottom rung of Jewish society. Socially, they were shunned. Politically, they were traitors. Religiously, they were seen as being beyond God's grace. They were unsavable. And Zacchaeus wasn't just a tax collector. He was the chief tax collector for that area. He's the top of the pyramid scheme. He's the one that, he's making money off the other tax collectors. He was the worst of the worst. That, that, that's this man. Remember, he's obviously rich. We have this story fresh in our mind about the rich ruler. This guy is beyond hope. All right, Jesus just said, a rich person, it's almost impossible for them to get into heaven. In the midst of all this happening, all these emotions and feelings and hatred, Zacchaeus has a life-altering moment. All right, all this that is going to be uh, stirred, it, it stirred something inside of him, everything that Jesus was doing, and he feels the need to respond. All right, it isn't enough uh, for things just to happen inside of Zacchaeus. He wants to do something about it. He says, I will give away half of my wealth to the poor and pay back four times what I cheated them. Now, the law of Moses, if you, if you stole something from someone, you had to pay back the value of what you stole plus 20%. And they, they loved their laws. Like, all right? And he is going well beyond that. I'm going to give away half of what I have to the poor. I'm going to pay back 400%. Not 120%, 400% of what I've stolen. Now, he doesn't give it all away, which is interesting. You know, we just had the story of the rich young ruler. He says, Jesus says, give away everything you have. But Jesus doesn't say that to Zacchaeus. It's about what's happening in the heart. All right, and Jesus says that this, chat, this chief tax collector is saved. All right, this is, this is crazy for them. The chief tax collector has been saved. And he isn't saved because of him giving away money. That is an overflow of what is happening on the inside of him. All right, you can't buy your way into the kingdom of God. We, we know this. But love for God expresses itself in love for others around you. 
When you love God, it will be expressed to the people around you. That, that is the natural overflow. If there is no natural overflow, the question of how much you love God would be raised. I want us to make sure that we take a step back from this text and, and that we walk out of here saying, okay, I have something to put into my life this week. All right? It's easy to read through a story and think, oh, that's a neat story, but it doesn't really apply to my life because I'm actually a pretty tall person, so I can't take anything from Zacchaeus. No, like, not that anybody in the room is actually saying that, but I think sometimes we're just like, ah, that's great, but doesn't apply. All right, now, I, I want us to take two things from this, and I think this matters for us. The first one is this. True repentance isn't just about what you did wrong, but it leads to how you can make it right. Now this, bear with me here, this, this can be both of my points today. I want to make sure I have time to explain them, because I think for some people that could, that could sound bad. Our, our works does not save us. I am not saying that. What I am saying is when we truly have a repentant heart, when we truly are sorry, it leads to more than just I'm sorry. All right? True repentance, if it has happened, will be followed by visible change in our life. One of the things that Emily and I have taught our kids is when they ask, uh, when they apologize to one of their siblings, they not only say, I am sorry, but they have to follow it up with a question, which is, how can I make it better? Like, okay, you have just hurt your brother. You're sorry about that. Now, what can you do to make this better? All right, when Zacchaeus had this heart change with Jesus, it was evident because of the actions that he took afterwards. The actions are not what saved him. The actions are what point to what happened inside. He wasn't okay with receiving salvation and then sitting in comfort with all the money that he had gotten through dishonest ways. When we find Jesus, we shouldn't be okay with all the crummy ways we have treated people in the past. We don't make excuses of how we aren't like that anymore. All right? We actively go and we try to make those situations right. That is what makes the life change evident to those around us. That is how we point to Jesus as the source of our change. When we did baptisms last week, one of the questions we asked him is, what does your life look like? How is your life different now that you have found Jesus? Because our life should look different. The second thing I want us not to miss out of this passage this morning is this. Jesus cared more about people who were hurting than his reputation. All right, every time he sat down and ate dinner with tax collectors and notorious sinners, we need, we need to remember this, he delegitimized his ministry to many people that were watching him. He had this following of people that that wanted to see what he would do next. They were waiting to question, is he the Messiah? Is he not? And that was kind of the whole point of him coming. And yet he wasn't afraid to tarnish that reputation because I guarantee there were people that wrote him off in that moment saying there's no way he can be the Messiah because the Messiah would not sit down and eat with the bottom rung of our society. There's no way that the Messiah would go and spend time with these people. 
And not only was he eating with them, one of his disciples was a tax collector. Like from the beginning, Jesus was, was going to flip this on its head. And he wanted to make this very evident to people. I think there's times where we get concerned as Christians about our reputation. And we're like, oh, you know, I, I've tried so hard to be a good Christian and to do this. And we get so concerned that we can miss people around us that are hurting. All right, Jesus finishes this, this passage with what would arguably be the main line and the main theme of the Gospel of Luke. When he says, I've come to seek and save that which is lost. I've come to seek and save that which is lost. That's, that's my entire purpose for being here. I think when we find Jesus, we often want to clean our lives up, and I think that's a good response. But we do run a risk of, as we clean our life up and get rid of habits and we get rid of things that we used to do, uh, the way we used to talk, that we become so clean that we can't, by you, can't be used by God to reach people. When I was in college, uh, I was at North Central studying to be a pastor, and I was working as a manager at Sarpino's Pizzeria, downtown Minneapolis on Washington Ave, close to the Metrodome. All right, and I had all these, uh, it was a small little shop, and I was building relationships with my coworkers, um, and, I, and I kept just kind of praying this. I said, God, I, I want to have an opportunity to, to share Jesus with my coworkers. I, I want to have some time. I want to have a moment. I want to have a conversation. I want to especially have time outside of work. Like we were always incredibly busy. There wasn't much that could be done at work. And I wanted to have time outside of work. And, and one night, some of the guys invited me. They said, hey, we're hanging out after work. Do you want to come? And I'm like, okay, well, what's going on? I'm like, well, you know, when we close, which was at 1 a.m. on a weekday, and I had class at 7.45 a.m. the next day. All right. We close at 1 a.m. We're lucky to get out of there at 1.30 a.m. They said, we're, we're headed out to the casino. We're, we're going to stay there kind of through the night and, and hang out. And I'm like, oh, okay. I'm sitting there. And at, I'm sure at some point I had probably signed some paper at North Central saying that I, there was a list of things that I wasn't going to really engage in. All right. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if going to a casino was on that list. And I'm sitting there and I'm praying. I'm like, God, I, I don't know about this. But I'm like, okay, I've been praying, God, give me an opportunity. And you've given me an opportunity. What am I supposed to do with that? And, and so through, through some, some prayer and I think some wisdom, I kind of came on this spot where I'm like, all right, I'm going to bring 20 bucks in my pocket. I'm not going to bring any more money. I'm not going to go to an ATM, and I'm not going to think that I'm leaving there as a big roller with lots of money in my pockets, okay? Like, I'm going to spend $20 to hang out with my friends, the same as if I was going to two movies or something like that. And, and I went with them, and it was a great time of just getting to spend time with them. And I think in that moment, like, I look back on it, and I had, it would be different if I struggled with gambling in the past, but I didn't. And I think what was really holding me back wasn't this fear that, like, I'm going to walk into a casino and immediately become a gambling addict. Like, there's just no, I can't control it. Like, I'm going to walk in and go nuts on a slot machine and my ATM's just spitting out my, like, you have these, like, visions in your head. And I'm like, 
That's not going to happen. Like, I think what really was holding me back in that moment was this a little bit of an idea of like superiority, of pride, of like, I don't do that. Now, I understand that this story could have some holes in it. There are some things that we could say, is that being a good steward of God's money? Is that then being sinful? Is that, are, are we sinning to try and reach people? Definitely not. Like, that, that should not be part of it. And for me, that's why I spent a lot of time praying about this prior to this situation in college. And I just really felt this peace of, like, God, this is, this is weird, but this is the opportunity you're giving me. And later, I got other opportunities with these guys. But I think we run the risk of, of caring so much about our own reputation and how people see us that we're unwilling to be used by God in every single way. Right? Like, don't live your life in such a way that you don't have contact with people that need Jesus. Right? The church must become the means for restoring the lost and rejected by seeking them out, not by remaining isolated from them. Jesus' ministry was all about leading people to God who others had given up on. That was his ministry. So who in your life needs Jesus? All right, and, and if you can't answer that with people you see daily or weekly, you might be living too isolated from your mission. And this is hard. Like, as a pastor, a lot of my friends are in a church. I go to work, and it's at a church. I go home, and my family all loves Jesus. And you're like, okay, I have to be intentional about this. I have to put myself in places, build relationships with people that need Jesus. When I was a youth pastor, I had the same conversation with, like, homeschooled kids. Like, I don't know what to do. I'm at home all the time. You're like, okay, well, you need to be intentional about this. I joined, you know, the men's soccer league in Duluth. And my team was by far, had the worst language out of any team. And I was the captain of this team. And there'd be at least several of the guys that were buzzed at halftime. No, buzzed when they showed up, drunk at halftime. All right? Like, it was just that they're, like, sneaking stuff in. And it's this men's league. And I'm like, God, thank you for just putting me in a spot where I am constantly around people that need to see your love. Like, that, that's so amazing. And that I constantly have this opportunity to rub shoulders with people. And I am constantly reminded of what life without a Savior can look like. We need this in our life. We, we need to rub shoulders with people that need Jesus. So I want us to do this. As we close this up, can, can we stand across this room? And I have, I have two questions that I want each of us to kind of think about today. All right, and I want us to just kind of reflect on these as we spend some moments, just you and God in this time. First question is this, are there any wrongs that you need to make right? All right, we go back to this idea of true repentance. Is there anything in your life that you have done, and maybe it was this week, maybe it was this month, maybe it was 10 years ago, 
and you haven't ever truly made the situation right. Maybe you've apologized, but there still is something that needs to be done. And the second question is this, who are the people that God is calling you to seek out? And I am very specifically using the words, seek out. Because this was the mission of Jesus, to seek and to save the lost. Now Jesus left and he passed his mission on to us. Now understand, you and I do not save anybody. We know that, right? There's no saving power in the name of Josiah. There's nothing that I can do to save somebody. There's nothing you can do to save somebody. That is still Jesus. That is still the Holy Spirit working through somebody. But he did pass off the first part of that mission to us, and that is to seek. To seek. And I think some of us, we get content with the life and the circle and the bubble that we are in. And we're willing to be used by God if somebody enters into our bubble. If they walk through our door, if they, if they show up in our friend group, we're like, great, yeah, I want to show you the love of God. But that's not the picture that we get of Jesus. That is not how he would seek. He would go out of his way. He would actively put himself in situations. You know, he calls Levi the tax collector. Then Levi has a dinner that night. And who's at the dinner? A bunch of tax collectors. And that's who Jesus is with. So who are the people that God is calling you to seek out? And maybe you have names right now. Maybe you already have people that you have been seeking. Or maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're like, I have never thought of it this way before. And I need to come up with a list. I need to have at least one person. And I want us to take just a few moments. I want us to spend some time in prayer. Just you and God. And I want you to kind of take both of these two questions to God. Right, this is not about you answering the question. This is about God answering the question for you. So let's do that for the next 60 seconds. And hopefully, we're not putting, you know, we're not putting God on a timeline of God, you have 60 seconds right now, talk to me or I'm done. You know, this is, let's take some time, let's hear from God. But this is about creating a habit in our life where when we leave here today, we are still listening for God's voice. We are still wanting him to speak to us. All right? So this is not, this 60 seconds is not the conversation. It's the start of the conversation. So let's take 60 seconds. Let's just say, God, what are these answers? There's no age that's too young to be on mission from God. And there's no age that's too old. All right? There's no retirement from God's mission. There's no retirement from ministry. I wonder if we could just kind of eyes closed this morning. 
how many of us in the room today feel like God is speaking something specific to you? That there, there is something, there's an answer to one of these two questions, there's something else, but God is speaking something to you this morning that you feel like you need to take and you need to go and you need to put into action. How many of us would say that God is speaking to me this morning? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. If you don't feel like you heard from God this morning, that is not um, anything that would say like, oh, well, it's not your fault in any way. There's not a, you know, I heard from God, I'm better, I'm holier, anything like that. What I would say is this. I think God speaks to every single one of us in a different way. Some of us, we, we spend a moment in silent and reflection and we feel like we can hear, we can recognize God's voice. Others of us, God is kind of saying like, hey, don't be a parked car, start moving. I'm going to guide you. I'm going to direct you. I am going to lay things in your path. All right, so right now you might be sitting here thinking, I'm off the hook, I didn't hear anything. What I'm gonna tell you is this, as you go through your life this week, as you are walking through life, as you are going to work, as you're spending time with friends, with coworkers, family, whatever it would be, that you would remain sensitive to what God has and that he could speak to you. Last thing before we go is this. If there's anyone in the room and you feel like, you know what, I, I have never, I've never made this decision to follow Jesus, I feel like I'm the one that maybe is on the outside here. Maybe as we're talking today, you feel like you relate more to Zacchaeus prior to Jesus finding him, where you just kind of feel like, I don't think people like me. I think that I'm kind of, I don't know. And if that's you, I want to encourage you to make a same step that Zacchaeus did this morning. All right, not to, not to give away half your stuff but to say, Jesus, I I want to live for you and I want to have that life change. If that's you, could I have you just slip your hand up this morning? I I want to be in prayer with you. If you're watching this at a later time and you're making that decision, please contact myself, the church, we would love to help you walk through this. I want us to do this. As we get ready to go, can we just, every single one of us, just kind of, can we posture ourselves where we are ready for God to use us? I want to close in prayer, but I want you to join me in prayer. and Just say, God, I want to be used this week. I want, I want to make a difference in someone's life. God, we give you our lives. Lord, I pray that you would just speak to us, that you would use us. God, that we would actively be seeking out people that need you, that we wouldn't be fine just living in our own little bubble. God, I pray that when we do things that that hurt others, that wrong others, Lord, that we wouldn't be okay with just apologizing and leaving it at that. But God, that we would want to make things right. Jesus, speak to us this week. We ask this in your name. Everybody said, amen. Amen. Hey, thanks for being here. You guys are dismissed.